Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. City News. It's 17.30 GMT. This is Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTFM. I am Umaru Sanda Amadou. And tonight I'm here with... Hawa Idrisu Mustafa. And coming up over the next 90 minutes, Finance Minister Ken Oforiata jumps to the defense of under fire central bank governor. The, but the finance minister himself has been under fire in recent times. Can he really protect the BOG boss? Also coming up, government expands the DDE further by touching persons on the Dachi fund. What does that mean? And later on Eyewitness News. The vice president, the chief of staff, Honorable Frema Osei Opari, Majority Leader, and the entire leadership of Parliament. The big apology from Dom Kwabinya, Member of Parliament, Sarah Adjua Safo, to his party folks. But will they listen? That's a question we have here on Eyewitness News. Stay with us because we have details of that story and others. There would also be business in the latest headline. Governors of central banks in West Africa admit no member country will meet criteria for echo rollout by end of year. That's in 15 minutes from the City Business Desk. Eyewitness News is live across Ghana on a number of affiliate stations in Northeast. We are on Waliwali Wali FM's Eagle. Night Waliwali rather, we are on Eagle FM 94.1. We are in Upper West on Westlink 88.1 FM in Laura. We are in Upper East on Word FM 88.3 in Zuarungu. We're in the northern region on Dasuma 99.1 FM in Yendi. In the Volta region, we are on Akpini Radio 96.7 in Pando. We are also on Heritage 107.3 FM in Hohe. In Ashanti region, we are on Orange 107.9 FM in Kumasi. If you go to the Ahafo region, we are live on Hames 106.5 FM in Gorso. Green FM 95.9 in Sunyani in Bono region is bringing you this broadcast. In the western region, multiple stations including Premier 100.5, Beach 105.5, and Sky Power 93.5, all of them in Takradi. Do send us your views to the show on WhatsApp 0549-986-996. 0549-986-996. Alternatively, you can send tweets using the hashtag CityNewsroom. Uh, tweet at Umaru Sanda or at city nine seven three. The show is live on YouTube and is live on uh, Facebook. You can join us there and uh, read the stories that we have for you. Let's settle for details of our stories now. And uh, Minister of Finance, Ken Ofriata, is trending. This is because of a, an article that he wrote defending the Bank of Ghana governor. The headline on citynewsroom.com says... Attack on BOG leadership over 60 billion CD laws, needless, Oforiata. The story reads in part, the finance minister, Ken Oforiata, has emphasized 
that the primary objective of the Bank of Ghana, like all central banks, is not to generate profit. In an article titled, Standing Strong with the Bank of Ghana, he addressed the importance of managing the central bank as a financially sustainable institution, rather than focusing solely on profitability. The article comes in response to plans by the Minority Caucus of Parliament to protest against Dr. Addison, accusing him of mismanaging the central bank, resulting in a loss of 60 billion cities in 2022 and negative equity of 55 billion cities. Now, the quotes that we have from Ken of Riata, he says, um, We must, in these extraordinary times, and this is a quote, deploy all the instruments we have available and sail together through this odyssey. The call for us as citizens is not to be seen as punishing the Bank of Ghana for pitching up to support the greater public good. It is probably a good time to recall the wise words of the late Professor P.A.V. Ansan that even as we educate and inform, we must foster national cohesion because national cohesion is a foundation upon which any and everything is built. The finance minister asserted that government debt operations that commenced in 2022 and were executed this year has had a significant impact on Bank of Ghana's balance sheet while reducing the amount of money spent on interest payment exchange by government. So the article, you can get more if you go to our website, citynation.com. The concluding part says there is therefore no need for a direct attack on the leadership of the central bank. The people who have been trying to smoke out the central bank governor, Dr. Addison, at the NDC side in parliament, one of their key spokespersons on finance matters, ranking member on the finance committee, member of parliament for Bolga Centralist, Isaac Adongo. He's joined us on the line. Sir, you're welcome to Eyewitness News. Yeah, thank you very much and uh, good evening to your listeners. I do know that you guys just finished a fight, and I'm using a fight advisedly against the finance minister. If that fight is even over, where you are asking that he should be removed, you started uh, censure proceedings against him and all of that. Now he's defending the central bank governor, and he says that the central bank is not supposed to be a profit-making institution. And so the attacks on the central bank boards is needless. What's your comment? Well, Omaru, uh, this is very unfortunate and it's actually uh, a sad commentary. You see, how do we know that the Bank of Ghana has made a loss? It's because in its reporting, it reported on a comprehensive income statement which showed that the bank had made a loss of $60.8 If the Bank of Ghana is not meant to make a profit, why is it reporting a comprehensive income statement revealing a loss or a profit? Non-governmental organizations that are not profit-making don't report comprehensive income statements, and they don't disclose profit or losses. They disclose deficit or surpluses. It's kind of right aware of that that because of this special mandate and its need to make a profit or loss, that is why the, financial, the international financial reporting standards require such entities to report comprehensive income statement revealing profit or loss. They should go and be reporting in, income and expenditure and showing cash basis of accounting and arrive at deficit or a surplus and see any auditor will sign that report. So... I am very surprised at these so-called Yale students who basically appear to learn nothing in school. 
So that is one. Two, so across the globe, central banks are set up to dissipate public funds. This is that what they do? That if there are laws governing the operations of central bank, they should ignore the laws and operate as they want and dissipate public funds. How can you talk about sustainability? When an institution has just lost 70 billion of the reserve money of Ghana, the entire reserve money of Ghana is about 68 billion. The central bank money, a bank or a loan, is lost on reserve. It's 70 billion, making the central bank clearly a policy insolvent institution. When we say you are a policy insolvent institution, what it means is that the institution can no longer perform its mandate because the foundations of its requirement has been destroyed. So how does it define sustainability? When a central bank today, which borrowed a lot of money on open market operation, has, be, has actually lost all that money. When a central bank, which went out and borrowed on the international market, either in the form of swap, repurchase agreement, on bridge finance, or term loans, in order to support the CD with foreign currency, has lost all that money. And the owners of those money will come asking us to pay for it. When they come, you go and tell them, oh, we are not a loss-making, a profit-making institution. So we are allowed to waste that money you gave us. And we don't have it because we are not a profit-making institution. But we are a loss-making institution that has wiped up all your monies we came and borrowed. You have forced banks in Ghana to deposit with you prudential reserves because you are the best person to keep those money for a rainy day. Today you are telling us that that money that the bank gave to you as a reserve, you have squandered that money and that money has disappeared and you say that makes you sustainable. Omar Sanda, that can Oforiata understand what he's talking about? What caused it is in years that taught him that you can do all of this and still be sustainable. We give you 10 million to go and manage monetary policy. You go and finish the 10 million and now enter into people's money and waste 60.8 billion. These are not paper money, these are people's money, real finances that we need to pay back. You are not telling us how you are going to pay back. And you say that is sustainable. And that you say across the globe, that is how central banks work. That in, across the globe, if the laws of your country, your public financial management act, says that you cannot write off any public asset without coming to parliament to get a resolution, a simple majority of the uh, a simple majority resolution. How are you there? Because you are not a laws making, you ignore the law, and then you write off thirty two billion of public funds. So imagine that Cocoa Board is also writing off. Uh, Ghana Water Company, they write off. Uh, 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 ECG, they give money to their cronies, then they write off. VRA will give money to their cronies, and they write off. Will we have a country? Will we have public finances? I am disappointed in Keno Foriata. But he explains that the BOG's action... Of he says the BOG. He says what the BOG has done is for the greater public good. Do you not want to the consider that public good? Yes, the, the the laws anticipated that there could be a situation where the central bank will be in trouble and has to write off, 
and has given a procedure for doing that. So he said that for the sake of public good, the law doesn't matter. And this is the chief compliance institution in Ghana. That takes people's banks down because they don't follow the, the laws. But for India, the laws don't apply to it. It can decide that for the public good, the law that says don't write off 32 billion until you have come to uh, tell the people of parliament. And for them to be convinced and give you the mandate to go and write it off. However, you can do it without coming because it is for the public good. Who determines the public good? The people of Ghana or you, the individual, determines the public good. Do we know what 32 billion was used for? When monies are roaming all over in people's bedrooms and politics. Is that what you did? You shared the money amongst yourself, and then you conveniently wrote off without coming to Parliament, and when we ask you, you say, oh, it is for the public good. What type of public good is that? Do you know what $32 billion can do for the people of Ghana? I don't think this man understands the things he's doing. If he does, he is probably, in the lightest sense, just mocking us. Because, you know, for him, his, his uncle or his cousin is the president. You, you can go to hell. And the governor can can do what he wants because as long as he's sitting there with his uncle, nothing will happen. You, you, Otherwise, you work with laws in, in a normal democracy. And you follow the laws in a normal democracy. Least of all, an institution that is the, 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 the chief compliance institution in our financial system. That is to make sure that everybody plays by the rule so that there is sanctity. Some of them, they don't play by the rules. Mm. They will come and say that, oh, they, they were the loss absorber. Who made you a loss absorber? You? Who made you a loss absorber of DDEP? Where in your act did they say that when Bank of Ghana, I mean, when the government, through Kenoforiata, mismanaged the economy to the extent that it cannot pay the debt, you take the burden? Why in your act did we say that? You and your colleagues. Why in your act did we say that? You and your colleagues want. And you waste 70 billion of our reserves and come and say that is sustainability. Honorable, you and your colleagues—you you and your colleagues want the governor out. Let me read from the purpose of my listeners who may not have read the article what the minister said about the governor, and then ask you to comment. There's a quote here. He says, "Governor Addison is a competent professional of quiet courage. In these nearly seven years, we have worked together to ensure the inviolability of the banking system." the establishment of the Consolidated Bank of Ghana, CBG, and the Development Bank of Ghana, the raising of over $10 billion in the Eurobond market and Afriexim Bank. He brought inflation down to single digits of 7.9% for the first time and managed an impressive period of currency stability in our country, including the implementation of the Gold for Oil program. These are the credits that the Minister of Finance gives to the Bank of Ghana Governor Dr. Addison. Should you be nailing him because of his singular sin now, when over the past seven years, according to Ken, he has been a professional, a competent professional in dealing with the sector? Is that how he describes as competence? That you ignore the laws and wipe up the entire money reserve. That is the basis of all monetary policy actions of the government. You have destroyed all of them, making the Bank of Ghana unfit for purpose. You said you move an inflation at a single digit of 7% to 54%. So because of that, your earlier 7% is enough to compensate for your sins of 54%. Is that what you're saying? 
if the city stabilized at 30% in 2016, and you have moved it to 54%, we should praise you because you managed it better some time ago. Why have you suddenly forgotten how you did it? If you are a professional, okay, do you manage the country based on your mood swings? That's some other days when you wake up, your mood is so good that you manage it well for us. Some other day when you wake up and you don't have your medicine to keep you stable mind, you mismanage us. But all the time, we forgive you because you once did a good job. Is that what you say? What the central bank governor has done is the worst record that wipes off his entire career in the sector. He's talking about the banking sector. And I'll be, I'll be doing something very soon. You heard a rumor that ADB is going to acquire NIB. You heard it. Tell Addison that the NIB was established by an act of parliament. Okay? The National Investment Bank was established by Act 612 of 1963. And that act makes it very clear under Section 62 that in the process of liquidation of that bank, Parliament has to pass a law giving directions as to how that process should be carried out. We know that acquisition of ADB of NIB has the consequential effect of liquidating NIB. So he should know about that legal issue. Two, he is the Bank of Ghana who is the regulator. He's even conflicted in this matter. He is the regulator who owns 54% of ADB that he wants to use to acquire NIB. This same regulator is the one who has provided regulatory forbearance to run down NID so that it can be bought for peanuts. And this is a man that Ken Oforiata is praising. Omaru, mm. uh, yes. if ADB itself is struggling for capital adequacy, you know that. And, uh, Bank of Ghana is a, who is a 64% shareholder, as we speak today, even needs recapitalization. So why is he going to get a man to give to ADB to go and acquire somebody? The government itself that owns 21% of ADB itself is going around telling everybody that I can't pay my debt. It is the reason the banking sector lost $18 billion in 2022. Let me... The GATT mm. itself, I'm coming, GATT, which owns 11%, itself has a nominal capital of one city and is trying to use creative accounting to report redeemable present shares is sold to government as equity. Why in this world have equity ever been returned to the places, the people who brought it? And I'm serving warning to Ernst Young to apply the full extent of the International Accounting Standard 32, which is very clear that redeemable preferences are preferred debts and cannot be used as capital because they must be returned to the people who brought it, and capital cannot be returned. So I am working on something. You will hear of me next week. You see, if ADB is having malaria, or let's say ADB is suffering from uh, uh, asthma, NIB is suffering from diabetes, you are telling us that you want to add asthma to diabetes and produce a healthy child. Why does that happen? So that man sitting there, Dr. Addison, is the worst governor I've ever seen. Who doesn't even seem to understand the industry he's operating in? Very well. He's very conflicted in the matter of ADB and NIB. And next week, I'll be coming fully at him. Okay. Because we will not allow them to exercise the final stage, the final stage of the state capture of ADB and NIB. You know why? ADB is listed on the stock exchange.
They want to now add the bigger NIV to it and pretend that they are offloading their shares on the stock exchange so they are locked into themselves and they take ADB and NIB. That is the strategy they are deploying, and we will resist them. So, Kenoforeta should stop. Plenty people who don't even deserve to spend another day in the Bank of Ghana. Wait to the see. worst governor I've ever seen in terms of financial stability. CBD, who banks with CBD anymore? It is our national disgrace, CBD. When CBD took the five banks, you know the number of branches they had. They had 175 branches. When they took the seven banks, they had 198 branches. Today, they have only 114 branches. What has happened to the rest of the branches? They've collapsed them. Is that example he's telling us in a country that cannot even sustain uh, NAPCO jobs? NAPCO, NAPCO jobs, we can't sustain them. You are sending people in sustainable jobs in our banks and financial sector home, and you are creating this type of person. Let's in, well, we get in concluding uh, the conversation, let me read for you another aspect. He talks about the Bank of Ghana headquarters itself. Uh, the, the story on City Newsroom says, let's support BOG to build a befitting headquarters, Oforiata. Now, the specific paragraph that talks about that in his article, he says, and I read, with respect to the BOG's new headquarters, the evidence is clear that decisions to build had already been made long before these losses occurred. The, it is important for us to support such a critical institution to modernize its operations and have a befitting office space for a country that holds the after and has a vision to become the financial services hub of the continent. Is that justified? Omaru, do you know that you are wish to have the best house at uh, uh, Isleguan Hills? Do you know that? I'm still wishing. Airport Hills. I'm still wishing, yeah, yes. Airport Hills, I'm sure. Mm. No, no, not Legon Hills. Not Legon Hills. It's Legon. It's Legon. You go to Legon Hills because you need a befitting place as the anchor of the news anchor of city. Or Ben Adabla will say, no, now I'm a big man. I'm the news anchor. I hold point of view. And I make city what city is. So please, I deserve uh, airport Hills. Is that what you do? But except that, that except that it's not the same as what you are describing. The scenarios what are different. I'm describing is that the scenarios are I'm different. The BOG started the process the long ago. Mm -hmm. Listen, the Bank of Ghana is owned by the people of Ghana. And the people of Ghana are represented in parliament. We haven't told you to go and build any new house or any new office. We now want our money. You are broke. We are now asking, how come you got broke? And we realize that behind, uh, on the blind side of us, you are, supposed, you are building a 250 million property we don't even know. Now we are saying we need that 250 million dollars to solve a bigger problem. You actually are sitting there. You said that you were to set up a financial stability fund of 15 billion Ghana cities. You are not discussing that. What is your core mandate? Your core mandate is to provide that 15 billion to resolve the financial challenges in the financial sector, which has shown 18 billion of losses so that you will get back financial stability. You are not interested in that one. You are interested in immaterial things. Too busy, busybody. Eh? Busybody, you are busy with a bank office. When you don't have that 15 billion that your financial sector, you yourself told us, has lost and you provide. Your banking sector has lost 18 billion. You are busy discussing an office. I, I mean, what type of misplaced priorities are these? Look, look, 
You are very busy discussing how you buy somebody's bank. So the government owns the bank. He will sell the bank to itself, raise the money to go and buy the NIB bank itself at ADB, and turn around the next day and say, well, I no longer own NIB because I have sold it. Umaru, you build a house. You get up one day and sell the house to yourself. And then you move your children out of the house to go and stay in a rented property. The next day, when the children ask you, where is our house? You say, oh, we have sold it. True, yourself. Who paid for it? You. Who took the money? You. Is that how you sell things? I mean, simple logic. Omaru, if this is what this is what they learn in Yale and Harvard, and I believe that they learn better things than that in my next life, I will still go back to Zanstek and Tamale Secondary School. <laughs> Wish you all the best, and thank you for speaking to us. Thank you very much. That's Onabai Zegadongo, Member of Parliament, Bolga Central. He's the ranking on the Finance Committee of Parliament, uh, just sharing his perspective with us on that um, article that was published by the Finance Minister, Ken Ofriata, in which he defended the Central Bank, the Bank of Ghana. We're just hearing the, his views. This eyewitness news on 97.3 CTF, and the minority still has a plan to occupy the BOG, as he calls it, uh, a match on the Bank of Ghana, demanding the resignation of the head and the two deputies. This Eyewitness News will be back with more. Please stay. Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. Let your voice be heard on Eyewitness News on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash city97.3 Twitter at twitter.com forward slash city973 and Instagram at instagram.com forward slash city973 with the hashtag Eyewitness News. You welcome back. This eyewitness news on 97.3 CTFM. Uh, the big story we're bringing you tonight. The finance minister Ken Oforiata has written an article in which article he's defending uh, the central bank governor. Now, talking about the central bank and the economy generally, let's talk about the domestic debt exchange program that the finance ministry has been embarking on. We are told that the net is being widened further. How? The Pensioner Bondholders Forum has rejected government's latest offer to participate in the domestic debt exchange program. Government has reopened the February 2023 exchange to allow eligible holders, including collective investment schemes and persons 59 years and above, to partake under terms similar to the February exchange. Let's understand what the ministry or the government wants to do now. Dr. Anani Entry, Dr. Edouard Anani Entry, is with the uh, pensioner bond holders. Uh, he's joining us on the night. Doc, you're welcome to Eyewitness News. Uh, thank you. How are you? Fine, thank you. The the, the ministry or the government is not targeting Dachi uh, fund. Is that is that does that affect you? What's your interest in this? Well, Dachi fund uh, or the Dachi bonds, the and all the others, the Esla. And the government is own bonds are all has all been part of the exchange program since the inception, and so that is not a new thing. The first one that was done February, in, where made up of the government owned bonds, the Dachi bonds, and the Esla bonds, and this is exactly what they are repeating now. What is the focus now? What 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 did they say they want to do? Uh, is it similar to? What do you plan to do with your your pensions, which you resisted, or this is remarkably different? 
I think it's the same on the same line. Uh, what I gather from the statement that was issued is that some investors are are now saying they wanted to come on board when they didn't have the opportunity to come on board previously, or they decided not to come on board. Now they want to come on board. That is what the, the meaning of that statement, that people who didn't have the opportunity to come on board, everybody was given opportunity, and people decided not to come on board. And now I don't know what has been the approach that these investors has uh, made to the minister that we wanted to come on board. And I believe it is the the, the target definitely will be the uh, mutual funds and the unit trust. That is the collective investment schemes. I believe some of them didn't uh, 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 go on board, uh, did not accept the offer. The offer that was made to them was just like for individuals. Some didn't accept the offer. And I think that is why government is now targeting them if they had gone to tell government that they wanted to be on board. But for us as pensioners, uh, I've, I've looked at the, the, the document that I'm saying, even the name uh, category B bond holder should not have come into this document at all because you can't target any uh, 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 any pensioner, no pensioner bondholder can ever be targeted because we have been exempted totally. We don't have anything to do with this exchange at all. If we are talking about exchange, you don't even have to mention our names. We are not part of it. So you cannot target, make any offer to any pensioner now. Court government, I, 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 sometimes I don't understand some of the things that uh, they, they put up. If you want to bring pensioners inside, then you first must remove the exemption before you say, well, you are no longer exempted. And so now, optionally, you can come in. But if the person is already exempted, you, don't give, you can't give the person any option to come to the table. So... That name, the category B uh, holders that has been put into the, inside the document is wrong. It shouldn't be there at all because there is no category B shareholder who is holding his or her shares based on his or her decision not to go into the arrangement and now wants to go into the arrangement. We were exempted. So it shouldn't be... We shouldn't be part of the group. And the people who are also part of the category B are the pensioners who have already accepted the offer. So there's nobody, there's no pensioner available now for an offer to be made to. Simple as that. Okay, so you are you are just reminding the government that this offer is moot because the offeree doesn't even exist because the offeree has been there's, exempted there's, already. There's nobody in the category B who is there and say, I wanted to uh, go in, but I didn't have the opportunity to go in, so now I'm going to go in. So that category B shouldn't be in this document at all. What do you reckon would happen? Would the members of the category B be forced back on the program 
or they would that have can, to that, or they that, would have to can, go negotiate or demonstrate and pick it again like we did the last happen. time that will never happen the government cannot cannot overturn its own decision to exempt us and it is in the records of parliament we have a letter we have been exempted and there is it's not based on any condition it's unconditional exemption but the government cannot go anywhere but they can't make they can't make such a big mistake. It definitely cannot be a mistake. There's a purpose to the to the no, word. No, I believe I, I believe the understanding. My understanding, I, I believe they they didn't get the understanding well. They are the implementers and creators they of the of the problem. They haven't analyzed the things well. You are implementing, but you see, this is finance and capital market issues. And I'm saying, if you analyze the situation. The person who was writing the memorandum of asking should have known that there are no category B holders available for you to give that offer, make that offer. Category B holders are made up of uh, pensioners who uh, who went into the exchange, who accepted the offer. So they are not available. They have already accepted. How, are, next, you how, how are you going to tell them this? How are you going to... I will have a press make a press conference and explain to people who are handling these matters that they are wrong. They didn't understand the concept well. Category B holders, there are no category B holders available for you to make an offer to. All right. So, but would you also write to them because the press conference they may possibly not see it? Do you want well, to write well, to you them? Well, for 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 me, I, it, it, it's it's uh, educating the the, the the whole public because we nobody is going to send any document or fill any form. You can't technically you can't fill a form to join an association where you have been barred from unless the bar is lifted. All right. Uh, wait to see what happens. Thank you so much for speaking to us. Yes, thank you too. That's uh, Dr. Anani, uh, Eduan Anani He is convener for the Pensioner Bondholders Forum, uh, responding there and reminding the government that they should not be part of the DDEP program, specifically targeting uh, Dachi and Esla bonds. Professor John Gachi is an economist. He's with the University of Cape Coast. Prof, you're welcome to Eyewitness News. Thank you. The government is already implementing the DDP. The net is being widened now. Esla and Dachi bonds to be targeted. But the one that is curious is that the pensioners who have had a letter written to them exempting them are being mentioned in there. I just spoke to the convener who thinks it may be a mistake. Do you think it's a mistake or government is simply cash-trapped and looking for all avenues, including going back uh, and recanting on his own promise or words in the past? Well, I think uh, uh, the entire debt exchange program was meant to have uh, or, uh, bring some respite to the balance sheet of government. But as it is now, uh, the DDEP will not help government achieve uh, such deeper financial benefits. So the government is uh, uh, looking out for more people more bondholders to come uh, to an agreement with it in order to see if it can deepen uh, the balance sheet of, of government. That is one aspect. The second aspect is that during the first uh, debt exchange program, it was very clear that uh, it was voluntary and those who want to take part 
should take part, and those who don't take part have no uh, uh, recourse to government. Government was uh, obliged to pay them. Uh, so if there's any call for people to surrender uh, uh, for Dachi and for uh, ESLA PLC, we should not include those who have uh, already indicated that they would not be part. Nobody can be compelled uh, to go into a debt exchange program. But one also has to see the environment for debt exchange program. The environment has changed. People have understood clearly that it is a, it affects the bondholders, and it's the bondholders who have to take decisions uh, whether to be, uh, to be part of it or not. And therefore, government is now widening uh, its net to see whether more people can come on board. And uh, I do not think that the usual uh, support that is given to bondholders across board uh, will be given this time. So that is the advantage the government is there trying to take. So the government is just giving an open invitation and hoping. It's actually a hope. It's not necessarily as if uh, people are going to be forced on the program. Yes, the debt testing program remains a voluntary uh, offer. So if people refuse to be part of it, they have not offended any law. And that does not mean that the government is not indebted to them. The government is obliged to pay them. So those conditions remain. But the point I'm making is that uh, over over the period, government has had an engagement uh, with uh, uh, pensioners, uh, pension funds, for example, uh, which have largely agreed that was over. Uh, so government feels that uh, the little that is left, uh, they can they can uh, come on board. And uh, people have made it very clear that it is only bondholders who have uh, the duty to accept or not to accept. All right. Uh, we're to see now the, the, the bondholders, the pensioner bondholders are saying, uh, in fact, because of the letter that has been them perpetually exempted, and they're actually even surprised to be seeing that they are even in the category at all. We're to see how government is going to react to that. However, before I let you go, uh, the big story we've been discussing tonight has to do with the central bank. The boss there, there's a demand for him to resign by the minority side. The minister of finance, Today wrote an article in which article he defended the central bank governor. Uh, he defended him on the measures he's taking so far in addressing fiscal challenges. He also talks about the central bank's headquarters, the new BOG headquarters and defenses, and says it should be uh, let to go. And the attacks on the, the BOG boss, uh, he uses the word needless. Uh, you have been studying the economy. Would you defend the finance minister of his defense of the BOG boss? Oh, no, I wouldn't defend the finance minister. Uh, of course, uh, it is at uh, his instance that the, the, the governor of the Bank of Ghana did what he did. So it's only proper that the government, through finance minister, comes to support uh, the governor. That is understandable. But on the other hand, it's making foolish uh, uh, the whole issue in the eye of uh, the public. Uh, I believe it is a show of impunity, it's a show of power, it's a show of disregard to the sentiment of the people. I do not think that that is how he is supposed to address the issue. All the issues that he has articulated, they are issues that the governor has raised and that did not find favor with the public. Uh, so for him to come to reclassify those items uh, in support of the governor, 
are a show of uh, uh, a sort of disdain to the, the people of Ghana. And that is uh, worrisome. Thank you for speaking to us, sir. Thank you. That's uh, Professor John Gachi. He's an economist. This Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTFM. We're coming to you from our studios in Adabraka, in Accra. Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. Let your voice be heard on Eyewitness News on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash city97.3. Twitter at twitter.com forward slash city973. And Instagram at instagram.com forward slash city973. With the hashtag Eyewitness News. You welcome back to Eyewitness News. This is 97.3 CTFM. We are broadcasting from Adabraka in Accra. Now, Sarah Adjua Safo is a name that um, resonates with many people who have been following the political space. She was the Minister for Gender, Children and Social Protection in the Akufado government. She was, before then, a Deputy Majority Leader in the House of Parliament. Then, there was a standoff of a sort between her and her party. She became an absentee minister, an absentee member of parliament. She was in the United States of America. She was a subject of controversy, the issues of um, absenteeism in parliament, the probe, and several other matters. Tonight, she's speaking. Before we tell you what she has been saying, which is an apology, Let's just recall briefly the Adria Safo story. Sami Yafi is our correspondent at the Jubilee House. Uh, he's been covering the Jubilee House at the time that Sarah Safo had her issues with the government. When they needed her at crucial times, she was nowhere to be found. Sami, what, what has been the Adria Safo story? <laughs> well, it started close to um, around the 2020 election. She was away for close to a year. Um, away in the U.S. Uh, when the government needed her, especially in Parliament, for the passage of some critical bills, uh, she was nowhere to be found. Um, she had to be convinced one way or the other to come down and come and uh, vote. In especially the the passage of the e levy, which was very very controversial in this in this country. Um, you know, the, there's a split in Parliament, so the MPP needed all its numbers and marshals to ensure that they, they pass this particular one. She was nowhere to be found. It took uh, a number of interventions to get Ajoa to come down and come and join the majority side to get the E-Levy passed. We even heard of reports that even the chief of staff of the Republic had to go to um, her residence to more or less to convince her or even beg her to come out and, and, and do the needful. Uh, senior party officials um, also came in to one way or the other convince her. At the same time, she was a minister for gender and 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 gender and children, children and social, social protection. protection and at that time there was a heat with regards to the school feeding program and um, quite a number of issues uh, had come up uh, you remember the the then or i think she's still the executive uh, secretary for the school feeding program uh, mrs akwashiga had issues with her uh, ajua for then minister terminated uh, her appointment in few uh, days that particular appointment was are reversed by the presidency and a whole number of issues came up surrounding that particular one as well so ajoa has been in and out um she came out to speak uh, officially um 
after all this controversy to come and tell Ghanaians that she was going through a number of family issues. Mm -hmm. um, she was in, in, the, in the mental state of mind to involve herself in active politics. Her constituents, you know she's a member of parliament for the Domi Kwabinya constituency, were also uh, seeking her whereabouts. Mm -hmm. That they have a member of parliament who's been away for close to a year and wanting to know um, her whereabouts. So today, officially, She's come out to publicly apologize, first mm. of all, to the party leadership, to the president, the vice president, the chief of staff, the majority leader, and colleagues in parliament, and all party executives, as well as her constituency executives in the Domi Kwabinya constituency. And in the in this particular clip, which you play in a short while, mm. she explained the circumstances surrounding her long as absence, and one way or the other, in quote, her misdemeanor, sort of. <laughs> With regards to everything that has happened mm. to her. So that just a full story is, um, for want of a better word, something Ghanaians will describe as a movie or sort of. <laughs> so let's listen to this um, almost two minutes, two minutes long video that she did of herself apologizing. And then Sammy, because she spoke to you, I would want you to stay around and, and translate for me. <laughs> The party for the new patriotic party and the party in Penin for the Dikai Mampenina and the Dunker Kufuadu. The vice president, the mommy, the chief of staff, honorable Frema Osei Opari, majority leader, and the entire leadership of parliament. Minianum Emrat Shebega for majority caucus. Me percent me fa kwenye isu epa muni na chow eni bi a ekwe mu eni yebi a efri me ho eba ye esa me sira mo se eni ni dahun eni ni madrimo na na me si ni pi se sebi ni demo ni mbe chukri form eni ama bibri na na e koso e wo mabra pumu eni me busi mu me fa kwenye isu dinya kupondi sira muni na. The regional executive, Greater Accra, the constituency executives, our chairman, goes to Edda Anoui, the headquarters of New Patriotic Party, the general secretary, any national chairman, any Wapang Funyina, the Pamunyina Cho, support sympathizers, Amunyina Mundo Party, no, Anamundomi, a Wabishi Mukesie, a Woyen Pesia Nimuno, the Pamunyina Cho. So that's Sarajua Safu, former deputy majority leader, former minister for gender, children and social protection. So I mean, she was speaking to you in that video address to her constituents, her, her everybody. The in president, the, the vice president, uh, the national chairman, general secretary, everybody that matters in the MPP. So and basically, what she's saying is that um, directly she said, I want to render a sincere apology to my party, the new patriotic party, leaders of the party. First of all, I want to apologize to the president, Nanado Dankwe Kufado, the vice president, the chief of staff, uh, the majority leader in parliament, the entire leadership of parliament, my colleagues, MPs, as well as the majority caucus. I want to apologize to you all for my past actions 
It wasn't deliberate attempt to undermine you. It was as a result of some difficult event in my life. So much was happening in my life and my family. I beg you in the name of God to forgive me. I apologize to the Great Sakai Regional Executives of the party, my constituency executives, the headquarters of the New Patriotic Party, the General Secretary, the National Chairman, and all the national executives and sympathizers of the party who had great confidence in me. I plead with you to forgive me. So basically, it's a message of apology for my Thank you so much. Samir Afi is our correspondent at the presidency. Uh, Theophilus Ansan Labi is the constituency secretary, MPP constituency secretary for Dom Kwabinya. Theo, you're welcome to Eyewitness News. Your MP has spoken. She wants you to forgive her. Will you forgive her? She's forgiven. Uh, no one holds a grudge against her. No, she's been forgiven. But after accepting her apology, what next that she needs to ask us what she did not state in her uh, in her video. She called, she asked for forgiveness and apology. It is well accepted and she has been forgiven. So she can go her way. Go on her way. She possibly is apologizing because she wants to stage a comeback. Oh, that one we can talk about that later. But um, for the apology, now as far as I'm concerned, she hasn't said to me that she wants to come back. She's apologizing. And uh, who are we not to forgive her? We are, she has been forgiven. And... Um, and I think um, she's passed her survey. As far as the Mikwakonya constituency seat is concerned, she has passed her survey. What What about the constituents, aside MPP members? Uh, what is the mood generally in the constituency about what she did you, in the past? Well, let me tell you this. I have been a three-term constituency secretary from 2013 to date. Okay, I've been a constituency secretary. And I'm not just an armchair constituency secretary. I am on the ground. I go out. And when this issue came, it seriously affected MP in Dominica. The absence of the, uh, the MP seriously affected us. Because Dominica is the largest constituency in Ghana. It's a breadbasket for MPP. And we lack so much developmental projects, especially our roads are bad. And if you have an MP who not sit home and lobby with the constituency executives plus the MC to ensure that the needed development comes into the constituency, becomes a challenge. And we have brought all this burden together. And as far as I'm concerned, I have said the period within which I've been a secretary, and this has been her character. She always comes to bed when it's time for election. And uh, there's a cut-off point for everything in life. Yes, everybody deserves a second chance. But I think we've given her more than necessary time. And uh, we are not stopping her from coming. We cannot do that because NPP is a democratic party. When nominations are open, she can come and get her nomination form and file. And if what the constituents are telling us as leadership, then I don't think she has, she has to wait her time. If what they are telling us, because they say, for what she has done, if we bring Ajo Safu again, they're not going to even help us campaign, let alone vote for us. Because she didn't start it from now. She started it before the 2020 election. She never even campaigned. She didn't do anything. And it got the NDC to, to increase their vote in this constituency for the first time in 2020. So what are we doing? Bringing her back? Then we don't mean to keep this seat. So it is over for her in your in your view. She should know. 
And that is why I think she's calling for this apology. Because if you've done the right thing, you don't need to apologize. All right. We've been on the ground, and we know what we're saying. It is no good for her. If we bring her as a party, then we're not, we're not prepared to keep the seat. Or if we want to keep the seat with her, we have to do, go the extra mile. We need to waste more resources to, to maintain Honorable Ajwasa as an MP in Dominica. Very well. For the MPP. Thank you so much for speaking to us. You're, you're welcome. That's Thank you Theophilos Ansan Labi, his constituency secretary of the MPP in Dom Kwabinya. This is Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTFM. Up next is the latest in the world of business. And then on Point Blank, we'll talk about the fisheries sector at Zena Kenu entrance. There's a moratorium on that. The person who will be joining us for that conversation is a deputy minister in charge of fisheries and aquaculture the Honourable Member of Parliament for Chobu, that's Moses Enim. He'll be joining us in a bit for that conversation. Please stay with us. Let your voice be heard on Eyewitness News on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash city97.3 Twitter at twitter.com forward slash city973 and Instagram at instagram.com forward slash city973 with the hashtag Eyewitness News. Every significant financial transaction, every market movement, and all the policies that affect your business. City Business News. Be informed. Time now for City Business News on Eyewitness News, proudly brought to you by a most comprehensive business news website, citybusinessnews.com. The details of our stories now. Governors of central banks in West Africa have admitted that no ECOWAS member state will be able to achieve all convergence criteria for the use of ECO as the single currency in the sub-region by the end of 2023. Therefore, a new macroeconomic pact has been tabled for adoption to assist member states meet some revised targets. This came to light at the opening of the Joint Committee meeting of Governance and Board of Governance of various units of the West African Monetary Zone at the ongoing 2023 media statutory meetings in Accra. Governor of the Bank of Ghana, Dr. Ernest Addison, who addressed delegates, said the remaining years remain crucial for monetary integration in West Africa ahead of the expected launch of the single currency. These multifaceted challenges have complicated the policy environment and several countries have deployed both conventional and innovative and conventional monetary and fiscal policies to restore stability. Due to the foregoing, member states could not meet all the primary and secondary convergence criteria. I believe we will spend some time discussing the macroeconomic convergence surveillance report prepared by our regional institutions. It is clear from just the claims of that report that no country within the zone is likely to meet any of the four primary convergence criteria this year. This makes next year a critical year in the lead up to the launch of the ECO under the roadmap in line with the new macroeconomic convergence and stability path. Governor of the Bank of Ghana, Dr. Ernest Addison Minua, representative of the president of ECOWAS Commission, Mambure Inje, reaffirmed the willingness of the bloc to tap into stakeholder participation in the rollout of the ECO by 2027 as anticipated. Allow me to conclude 
By reiterating, the ECOWAS Commission remain committed to the monetary integration agenda and to the sustainable development of our community. ECOWAS Commission will continue to work assiduously with all stakeholders in the integration process to ensure that the ECO will be created within the time stipulated. Mambere Inje is representative of the president of ECOWAS Commission. The Ministry of Communications and Digitalization is encouraging public sector workers to fully embrace technological advancement for efficient service delivery across various sectors of the economy. The sector minister, Esla Ousuekufu, maintains that it has become imperative for both civil and public officials to recognize the potential of emerging technology to transform national development. Speaking at the graduation of the first cohort of the G DigiSmart pilot graduation ceremony here in Accra, Madam Esla Ousuekufu urged the public service officials to constantly upgrade their skills competence. My uh, closing remarks, if I'm still here. So, this ceremony today is not just a celebration of individual accomplishment, but it's a testament to the collective progress and our government's commitment to harnessing the power of digital technology. Because like it or not, our world is changing every day. And we cannot sit back and watch these processes unfold or leave it to the private sector. When we talk about public-private partnerships, the public sector must also be equipped to do its part, to engage with the private sector so that collectively we move our country forward. So possessing or acquiring digital skills is no longer a luxury, but a necessity. For it's the key that will unlock doors to endless opportunities, drive innovation, and empower individuals to shape their own destinies. And the more you improve upon yourself, the more opportunities are open to you, even beyond where you are today. There is no way you would go today, even from Esla Ousuekufo is Minister for Communication. The General Agricultural Workers Union has expressed concern over the politicization of cocoa sector by both the NDC and NPP in response to the announcement of a new cocoa price for the 2023 and 2024 cocoa season. The NDC flag bearer John Mahama recently criticized the new price of 1,308 cities considering it as a rip-off compared to the previous prize of 800 cities. The governing NPP also criticized Mohammed's government for only adding a little over 200 cities to a cocoa price in seven years. Speaking to City Business News, the General Secretary of the General Agricultural Workers Union, Edward Kairo, called for a focus on improving the lives of cocoa farmers rather than engaging in politics debate over cocoa prices. Certainly, I'm feeling sad that uh, an important sector as the cocoa sector is being politicized of uh, who has done better than the other. It's neither here nor there. What we are looking for is what is the future of cocoa in Ghana? How do we want to use cocoa to leverage the development of this country? How do we want to use cocoa to reduce poverty in our country? How do we want to use cocoa to benefit people of this country? So, and to do that, we have to look at the structural challenges that face the cocoa industry which is not different from the agricultural uh, uh, sector. One, our major threat to cocoa today 
cocoa production and agricultural production. production. It's Delamse. And the Delamse, they said that it inflicts permanent destruction to agricultural infrastructure. And including cocoa, the lands that are available for cocoa are being destroyed, apart from the fact that existing cocoa farms are being destroyed, either through the complicit complicity of uh, the farmers or through some cohesive means by the Galamse miners who divert dirty water onto the farms of cocoa farms, uh, farmers who refuse to sell their uh, farms. You know, these are things that we have to be uh, uh, concerned about, but not about who has done better or who has not done better. That was the General Secretary of the General Agricultural Workers Union, Edward Carriway. Now, the annual ultimate corporate sports gathering, the City Business Olympics, is set to take place on September 30 at the Eden Heights Sports Complex in Wager. The event, which is powered by City TV with support from City FM, will bring together the best from the corporate world to compete. There is more in the following report. City TV and City FM is gearing up to bring you the ultimate corporate sports gathering, the 2023 edition of the City Business Olympics. The much-anticipated sporting event is set to take place on September 30 at the Eden Heights Sports Complex in Wager. The event will bring together the best of the best from the corporate world to compete in a variety of sports, including seven-a-side football, basketball, sack race, volleyball, tag-of-war, and arm wrestling. There will also be a CEO's challenge where CEOs from participating companies will compete against each other. Fremedunyame is the head of events and partnerships at City FM and City TV, and she's urging corporate bodies to take advantage not only for the fun and excitement, but also to leverage on networking opportunities. Corporate Ghana needs to come together. Let's all come, shake the stress, the pressure, the tension. You know, sometimes you just need to step out and take a deep breath you know enjoy the breeze outside it also a period where you get to stretch yourself you know that a healthy mind lives in a healthy body so it's very important for us to keep fit you know as um corporate people is also opportunity for all of us to come together and network you know sometimes it's very difficult when we all have to engage in our everyday work you come to city every day someone is also at um, a transact you know working other people are also doing their own thing you hardly find all of us coming together and these are moments that we never get to experience from Dunyami also called on companies to book their sports to ensure their participation in the games we have almost a full house of registrations but until you make your payment you know we don't reserve any slot for anybody and it's really a first come um, first served you know policy that we are engaging in that's why we are not so much in a hurry to give deadlines because if we wake up tomorrow and every company has paid we close it so if you have registered but have not made payment know that one leg is in one is out make sure that you secure your sport by making your payment how much how much is it it's three thousand cities that was the head of events and partnerships at city fm and city tv firma iduyame ending that report by nashika caesar and that's it for city New city business news on eyewitness news proudly brought to you by a most comprehensive business news website citybusinessnews.com my name is hawa idrisu mustafa up next is point blank eyewitness news be there as it happens
This is Point Blank on Eyewitness News. My name is Umaru Sandamado. Tonight on Point Blank... We're discussing the fisheries sector. You do know about the close season, right? Where they close the sea. The Ministry of uh, Fisheries and Aquaculture Development has decided that in addition to closing the sea, it will close the canoes. But it's saying that no new canoes would be seen on the sea. Why such a decision? You're going to prevent people from going to fish. You can't simply, it means that you can't buy a canoe and just put it on the sea and go fishing. So we brought into the studio Moses Enim, Honorable. He's Deputy Minister of Fisheries and Aquaculture Development and he's MP for Trobu. You're welcome to Point Blank. Thank you, my brother. How are we? We are well. How are you too? Ah, by the grace of God, still landing in the palm of the Almighty. Things are hard, though. The Almighty is looking at us and he has to help us a lot. He has to question us. Because right now, the, your government, the thing you both do, honorable. I think Well, um, we will not be the last or the first to say that, yes, mm. uh, <coughs> there is difficulty, really. And it doesn't mean we're doing nothing about it. I believe strongly that Ghana is not in an, in an isolation mm. when it comes to the economic or the financial meltdown that we all find ourselves. It's a global issue. Mm. I believe recently when the president mentioned that this uh, downgrading Ghana is even a huge challenge at this critical moment, especially Africa as a whole. You, you heard America being downgraded recently. Mm. Uh, a plus three being reduced to but, two okay, A but, people are still no, running, but you see, the point that we want People to, are running to America. No, but no, no American see, is running to Ghana. No, the point we are raising is that mm. Ghana is not in an isolation as far as these issues are concerned. But Ghanaians are running. Ghanaians are, do you know the thing? The, do you know what is called Japa? People are Japanese from Ghana. No, Nobody is coming to see, Ghana. Even the year of returns, every... Devil, every it, it isn't news that Ghanaians are migrating to Europe and America. You told us you're going to make isn't Ghana news? a better country. These yes, people are running. That's yes, a big but, news. But, it means but, you failed. But, uh, Omaru, mm. you, you could talk also about end 2019. Mm. And I believe in one of your narrative. You might have quoted maybe the IMF, the World Bank, mm. Bank of Ghana, end 2019. Haven't you done that before by mm. end of 2019? Mm-hmm. Okay. What's your point? And my point that I'm making to you is that 2017 up to 2019 and 2019, mm. you saw the economy. Okay. We are not saying by then we had gotten out of the woods yet, <coughs> but you saw progress <laughs> in terms of all the economic indices and indicators, indicating that, yes, we, we're surging forward, we're getting things rightly done, mm. we're making sure that the, economic, the economy is becoming stronger mm. relatively. Okay. Okay. From from trend analysis and and, and the strength of the economy before and as at the end of 2019, so the difficulty came. The difficulty came, which we all know the reason why the difficulty mm. did come. Mm. And I said, you know, the record also show that Ghana is not in isolation. Okay. No. Even when people started touting, go to Africa, go to Togo, go to Benin, go to that, and we all ended up at the IMF. 
You know. So you see, the reference point that I keep telling to people that yes, we are in difficulty and we are not isolated. Yet we've not thrown our hands in, in this way. Okay. We're working hard to make sure we come back, and the signs are showing okay. that yes, we are recovering and we'll recover fast. Let me leave the economy for Kenofriata to deal with you. Let's talk about fish. <laughs> the president gave you a mandate to serve under a minister so that you tackle our fish and uh, aquaculture sector. You have been closing the sea. We say you, you said because we get more fish, no problem. We fight small, we allow you close the, fish, the sea, and then when you decide you come and unlock it, and we're going to do whatever. Now you are saying people should not buy new canoes or carve new canoes and go on the sea. So you are simply saying people should not go fishing. New people, I mean, if you are not a fisherman already, what was the idea? Explain the story to well, me. Well, let me start, let me start from here, Omaro, so we can appreciate what really is happening mm -hmm. okay we knew fortunately for us we our waters fall within uh, the gulf of guinea coasts mm -hmm. okay and by the blessings of the almighty our waters are such that ecologically we species that are more economical in terms of even affordability when you talk about the small pelagics they are scientifically or biologically have a good environment to habitat Okay, so you realize that the, because our waters produce significantly, the, the planktons, let me break them into the phytoplanktons and the zooplanktons, <coughs> we are able to develop more stock levels for our small pelagics and other species. I talk about the small pelagics because the small pelagics are economical and affordable. When you say small pelagics, is that the fish we buy when we go to the kinky cellar? That's right. Okay. We talk about the sardinellas, the flat sardinella, mm -hmm. the round sardinella, the anchovies, and then the mackerel. Mm -hmm. Okay. And landing catch determines that they are largely proportionate when it comes to our landings. And then they are also affordable. And as a result, they form a proportion of our catch. But you see, because of our own making, human activities, we can mention a lot of them. If you look at the data, mid reference point 1996, the small pelagics that we landed were about 250,000 metric tons. When you, you go forward to 2000, two, two we came to 135,000 metric tons. 2002, it went up a little to 220,000 <coughs> metric tons. Then it started taking a nosedive. In fact, as of 2014, the data has indicated we have dropped about 44,185 metric tons in the small pelagics. We supposed to be affordable, economical for our people in, in our sea. In our sea, so, that's, in our so, so the, the 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 stock was reducing. It's reducing now. If you take the other report from the Fridge of Nonsense Research Vessel report for 2016, 2017, 2019, 2020. The biomass is also showing that our sardinellas and then the anchovies are dropping, have dropped significantly. In fact, one of the reports even indicated that it, the situation is like a dying human being whose health condition is deteriorating every day. That is where we are. And when you measure the catch per unit effort, which talks about input cost 
and even the economies of the fishing activity by the artisanal canoes, they are losing. They are not getting profit. It means we are in trouble. So what are the volumes now? What volumes are what's the tonnage? The, the tonnage now is so down. I think we are the the, the small pelagists, we are nowhere near fifty five thousand going up from two hundred thousand. We are nowhere near there. We are coming up a little recently when we did the close season <laughs> and all. It's started going up because if you look at the fringe of a uh, nonsense report it was rather even talking about 17,000 7,000 7, biomass for the small pelagics okay at a particular catch so a our particular fish place. is finishing in the sea that is the threat so when you government decided that based on the fisheries act let's have a fish a marine fisheries management plan so we did for 2022 to 2026. And the government cabinet approved, we gazetted. And when you read chapter 6, which talks about the resource framework, you realize that we are being directed to take management measures to replenish the stock. Because, you know, we can define food security and nutritional security <coughs> in any form. But for me, it is not for the today's people alone. It is also for the future. So whatever we do today must be there also for the future uh, people of Ghanaians. And if we don't work hard and take the bold decisions and bring in the management measures that can help us replenish the stock, then tomorrow, at a point in time, life in the ocean will not be there. The so, ocean, the life in the ocean is the aquatic animals and the plants, aquatic plants in the, in the ocean. We take it out, what is left is there is no life in it. So your solution to this reduction in stocks is to prevent people from going to fish. You have done that by locking the sea. But why are you now asking people to completely abandon fishing? Good. So uh, we, we, we also look at the statistics and we realize that you need to take your stock level into consideration. Your stock level must determine the number of canoes that should be fishing. Your stock level must determine that. Because at the point you can look at your maximum uh, sustainable yield. How much do you take out and how much do you replenish? And that should guide you. So the science numbers has indicated that we shouldn't go beyond 10,000 canoes from the stock level. If we really if we want to sustain what we call the maximum sustainable yet, like you take out the equal weight that you take out, you must replenish it with the same equal amount. Because, you know, fish is a depleting mm. <laughs> resources. Mm. So if even we want to create that equilibrium that you can have a maximum uh, uh, sustainable yield, then you don't need more than 10,000 uh, canoes. How many As do I we have As I speak currently? to you now, we have 12,175. Okay. And we did... On the sea month. alone? Oh, yes. And or on, or in on the, the river sea, bodies? On the sea. No, the river bodies inland. Mm. Inland is not part of mm. it. We're talking about the marine space. Over 12,000 canoes. Over 12,000 canoes. That's more okay. than the 10,000 you The 10,000 we are talking about. And your solution is that? And our solution is that the management plan has told us that we, we should 
we should work to first and foremost register all canoes. First, give them unique numbers, emboss the numbers, and create a canoe identification card for them. What emboss? What will be embossed on the canoes? You no, know, it will be the unique number. Okay. The canoe name. You know, the canoes have name. Mm -hmm. We register them. They have a name. We have records on their crews and all. That's why we are able. You heard the minister when we were trying when we commissioned the, the automation. Auto automation. You mm -hmm. heard they talking about direct people into fisheries. Mm -hmm. That is the canoe. 110,000 plus, okay? So we have even the names, the crew, and all data that we've got. So let every see, canoe person... Let us see the, 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 the knowledge and the wisdom of the vice president oh. in terms of digitalization, data collection, scientific data, and use of data, okay? So let us see that. We have all this canoe framework, canoe uh, frame survey that we've done. So we have all these numbers now. Now we've done the canoe identification card. The same chapter six that I mentioned is saying that we should do recategorization of the canoe and then the gear. So and wait. also do a three-year moratorium of new entrants. Wait, so all the 12,000 canoes on the sea, you have their records? We have their records. You've registered all of them? We've registered all of from them. Aplau from Aplau or from Keta registered all of to, them. to Elubo? All of them. Okay. You have their details. We have their details. And you are saying that they can continue to fish. We are saying they can continue to fish. But? But new entrants, okay? Because why? We have to align our efforts, okay, with annual estimated sustainable level. As I told you, that if you don't take cognizance of your stock and match it with efforts, run zero at a point. So you are banning new canoes on we the sea? We are banning new, temporary banning new canoes on the sea. So when? For three years. It's starting October, 1st October, <coughs> and then ending uh, 2026 in October. What we are saying is that every year we will look at the sustainable stock level. We will take the numbers. And then within that three years, we should be able to stabilize. Because, you see, we also need policy. And every day you go to canoe frame survey, the number is added. You so, don't always have numbers. We also want the canoe, the, the fisher folks to make profit. In fact, we did extensive engagement. We did regional engagement. We did community engagement. We specifically even did landing beach engagement mm. and engage all the stakeholders. As I speak to you, the Ghana Fisherman Canoe Council itself had wanted us to start this the beginning of the year, 1st January So they support what you are doing? Fully! Right, but if I lived at Lefono in Fully. the Ningo Pram Pram area, I have a wood cover and I let him build a canoe for me, I push it into the sea and start catching fish. How would you know, sitting in Accra, that uh, Sander's canoe is new and that he's on the water catching fish somewhere in, I don't know, Azizanya or somewhere like that. How would you know? You know, the, the you you just can't build a new canoe. How? The woodcarvers are doing that all the time. The Forestry Commission 
is clothed with all the legal regime to control. Okay. That is one. The building of canoes. The building of canoes. So okay. you need to apply to the forestry commission as to which forest area you're going to yeah, the wood. log and then get the, the wood. To, uh, <coughs> you need to go through that. We've okay. engaged them. So they are aware. So we have collaboration with them that now anyone who want to build a new canoe must take recourse to the Fisheries Commission to the ministry for we to approve so nobody agree. so nobody can have a new canoe on the sea without your right. knowledge that's right now we've also empowered the chief fishermen the chief fishermen at every landing beach there's a chief fisherman and he knows his fisher folks he knows the canoes and they have bought into this and we've all agreed that they are one of our source to ensure that we we'll check that we are bringing in the co-management as well. We form the labec, rather uh, we form in the labec. We form the committees. You know, the co-management is a way of giving the delegating authority mm. and also uh, to ensure that there's uh, a voluntary compliance okay. at least. That is there. So that one is also there. Question. Secondly, we have our zonal officers, extension officers. We have the, the Fisheries Commission regional directors and all. So we have this link in there to ensure that we'll check meat. So, so you're hoping that the fishermen sure that will self-regulate because you cannot go on the seas and catch everybody. So the fishermen, you are hoping, will choke each other. They will report on each other. The chief fisherman will report well, to you that well, well, that's is, right. is not... Yeah, that's right. Because one, now, you can't even go to the forest mm. to get the, to get the, the wood. And also for, because for you have because automated the, the buying of premix. The guy needs a card to go and buy premiums. We registered. We know every canoe. Question. I'm a fisherman in Jamestown. I've been waiting for my child to finish GSS or secondary school so that he join me in the trade. I have bought a canoe. I parked it somewhere. He wants to now go into the sea by December. What happens to my child? That's you, the business. Already, already we've closed registration. We've clo we gave them a lot of important. We've closed registration. We've given out the unique numbers. We've given out the canoe identification card. <coughs> if by this announcement you've not done that, then you are waiting for the moratorium. So my son cannot go fishing? No, you are waiting for the moratorium. The 12,000 plus that we have already, we've also made room because we know that it could happen that your boat will wreck. Beyond, beyond repairs, beyond repairs, mm -hmm. your boat correct. So we are saying that you can replace, but there, there's a replacement regime which start from you informing your chief fisherman. Your chief fisherman go take a look, get the fisheries commission informed. Fishery commission comes and take a look and certify that yes, this your boat is wrecked. And therefore, you need replacement. Then approval will be given to you. A letter will be written to the Forestry Commission. And then they will also start their legal regime as to how you Before can you can get a new before you can get a new to replace your to replace, broken. Replace, but you broken. can replace. You can you replace your replace. old one because you have you have been registered. Mm. The numbers are on our system. Your names are so there. So you'll be giving the clue. same data. You, so you'll be giving the same data. And also... 
you must maintain the same size. Okay. That is why we are saying that. Shouldn't be need... bigger than the no, original one. No, no, no. One. That's why we are saying we need to reclassify or recharacterize our canoes so, and then our gear, we which need is to, very important. We need to go, but in three years' time, when you leave this moratorium, you are hopeful that the fish stock would increase. Very hopeful. By what percentage? Are you, do you have a projection you're working with? Very hopeful. We're looking at uh, there's a scientific data. I can't. I don't have don't it have offhand, okay. but I can assure you that even with the other management measures that we've put in place at, for all the fleets, okay, from the gun, the industrial trough fleet, mm. Mm. from the inshore, and then the canoe ones you see that there's improvement in the stock level coming okay. for all the species. But we really want to improve highly the numbers of the small pelagics, no problem. which is very affordable F for, for, for the guy. Finally, we will not see fishermen demonstrating against you. you you're saying that you've got their buy-in. You're sure they're not going to come and say you're starving them and their families and their children who want to go fishing. You have got that sorted. Because no, if they, they do demonstration, they, we'll come. They, no, they know. They know that they are not making profit. Okay. They know. And they know this will help the industry. Very well. Okay. And so that we are very hopeful that every year we'll meet with them and we'll let them have the report as we do for the close season. Okay. Get them the scientific data from every to back your claim. year to back the claim. Okay. What we are, we've done with them so far. Honorable Moses Enim, Deputy Minister, uh, Fisheries and Aquaculture Development, Member of Parliament for Trouble in Greater Accra. Thank you for joining us on Parliament. Very grateful. I think we should make more time. So we come and talk about fisheries. Next fisheries time, bring fish and kinky. If you bring important. fish and kinky, we can We can extend that time. You come from Ministry of Fisheries. You didn't bring even oh, one. But I thought you've taken kinky and the fish already. Libby and in the morning. I could that see was, it that on was, your forehead. That was in the morning. <laughs> I needed one for the dinner. All right. Oh, okay. well, no, thank you. Thank Good you night. so much. Mm. Thank you. My name is Omaru Sandamado. This has been Eyewitness News. Production by Kobna Wilson, Beverly London, and Sami Wiafe. Technical support from Daniel Squashi. New media support from Edwin Kwakofi. We'll return tomorrow at 17.30 GMT. Thank you for listening and uh, have a good night. City News. We speak first. Reach our hotline on 0302-224959. And get interactive on Facebook, City 97.3 FM, and on Twitter at City 973.